This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. It's coming fast, man. Did you all know that only 10% of elk hunters are successful elk hunters? 10%, that's it. Now, there's most likely some people tuning in that uh, fall into that 10% category. But for the rest, what if I told you that Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 has developed an online course that'll help make you a 10%er? The University of Elk Hunting will provide you with all the resources you'll need to be confident in all areas of elk hunting, regardless of your level of experience or success. The Elk 101 online course will give you all the tools you need to become a successful elk hunter. Now listen, you know, and not to pump my own tire here, but you know, I've had a bit of success elk hunting in the past. And I took the Elk 101 course uh, two winters ago. And let's just say there's stuff that Corey covers in his modules that were not only easy to process, but they taught me some things that I didn't even know I was doing wrong. You know, and I was just totally pumped to take some of the stuff I'd learned from Corey's Elk 101 course into the field last fall. And, uh, you know, it worked. I uh, harvested a nice 6x6 six six elk. Now you're going to have to pay for this course. It's 100 bucks. You know, 100 bucks. Think of all that money and time you waste on calls and scent blocker, camo, and all that other stuff that you don't really need. But, you know, Corey, being the class act that he is, he offered uh, Focus Hunting listeners 20% off. Just use the promo code FOCUS. And trust me, it's going to be the best 80 bucks you ever spend on anything to do with hunting. Oh, it totally does, man. It's uh, I give people hell on all the forums when they talk about it's the pack out. I don't think there's anything that that truly prepares you or, or can staying you know true to your brand. You know, you get sore and pains and stuff, but once you build up oh, those yeah. ca- calluses everywhere, yeah. And then I picked up running, and so course, I decided I should not only run marathons, but I should run ultra marathons. So, so hundred miles. Mission. Yep. Yep. Running 100 miles. And we really just, uh, we're looking for a, a better t-shirt, um, comfortable t-shirt. The home of the <laughs> Quebec Nordiques, as we Canadians like to say. 
I'll agree with you only because I honestly don't have a clue. Everybody, thanks again for tuning into the Focus Hunting Podcast. The Focus Hunting Podcast is brought to you by the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Make sure you all head on over to waypointtv.com after this podcast. Check out what they got going on over there. This show is a show I've really been looking forward to get to you guys. Uh, I was hoping to get it to you a few days earlier, but uh, I kind of got caught up with a long, daunting bear hunt that, uh, that I'll get into a little bit later. On this episode, I'm joined by Mating Patelis. He's the uh, co-founder of Hunt to Eat. Mating and I chat about uh, how this great brand all got started and uh, you know where it's heading in the future. We touch on elk hunting, pack outs, good gear, and if it's worth the uh, the cost of it. And Mating tells us all about his crazy ass 100 mile ultra running, which to me is just nuts. Make sure you guys head on over to uh, Hunt to Eat. Um, check out what, uh, what they got going on over there and be sure to pick up some cool swag and check out their recipes and everything else they got going on but uh, just one quick side note fellas for you those of you who follow hockey you're gonna hear me uh, give my predictions on the Colorado Avalanche meeting the Boston Bruins in the Stanley Cup Finals this obviously won't happen seeing as they are both knocked out so so that's just evidence I have no idea what I'm talking about but anyway let's get after it how are you doing today? I am well today. It's the early morning, uh, running some errands, doing helping some friends out, but uh, but a good day in Denver, Colorado, Damn. where we're based out of, and uh, yeah, it's a sunny week here, so no complaints. Nice. How long have you been down in uh, in Denver? Uh, I've been in Denver uh, roughly ten years or so. Um, yeah, been out west, uh, kind of away from where I grew up for. Actually, I think longer now than I ever was actually back in Michigan. So, um, yeah, I've been out west like twenty some years now. Denver. Yeah, it's a good, good, good place to be. Lots of uh, lots of good outdoor adventure opportunities, uh, which is kind of my uh, my daily mo. So, um, yeah, lots of yeah. good sports teams down there. You're, uh, that's the home of the <laughs> Quebec Nordiques, as we Canadians like to say. <laughs> <laughs> there might be, but I'm actually, if I have any kind of uh, sporting uh, affiliation, it still probably uh, lies with the Michigan team. So um, oh, yeah. usually, I'm usually rooting for the Red Wings when they're playing the Avs. Um, oh. So, yeah. Um, Avs are, there's, actually, uh, there's so many Michigan people here that it's actually, when they do play, it's probably more Red Wings fans than Avs fans here. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, been a tough tough few years to be a red wings fan but uh, you guys had a good run that's for sure um yeah but uh, colorado's looking good i i predict them and the bruins in the final those there okay two, two good looking teams you're i mean i can, I'll, I'll agree with you only because i honestly don't have a clue like uh, i can <laughs> tell you i can tell you more about what's happening in the ultra running ultra running scene or some other things than i can about actual um uh, sports ball teams yeah, man, you're a yeah, you know checking you out your Facebook page and stuff. You're you're a a crazy ass runner, eh? Well, uh, we'll we'll get into that a little later here, but uh, yeah. maybe maybe right off the get go, you can just give yourself a, a quick quick introduction of you know just who you are. Yeah, um, yeah. So Martin Patelis, I was uh, I don't know where we want how far we want to go back, but um, essentially got into where I'm at right now with this company with Hunt to Eat um, about. Oh, almost coming on eight years now. Um, and ultimately I was a, uh, uh, I came to hunting while my family's been in hunting, you know, as long as I've been around, 
um, I didn't really participate. Um, I didn't have the, the, the fantastic relationship uh, with my dad that so many of us have to, to go out in the woods with. So I, uh, I only got into hunting when I was 26 or so. Um, and, uh, and that's mostly thanks to my brother, um, who's, the, the more, the, the celebrity in the family. Um, so yeah, so he got me out elk hunting once I moved to Colorado. Um, and, uh, ever since then, I kind of, for the first few years, I, I just hunted elk for, you know, one, one week a season. Um, and slowly, but surely that kind of grew into working for meat eater for a little bit of time. And then, uh, ultimately, uh, starting hunt to eat with my brother. Um, and we really just, uh, we're looking for a, a better t-shirt, um, comfortable t-shirt, a t-shirt that didn't feel like it had a sticker plastered on the front, um, and had some cool designs. And so that's kind of what, uh, that's what set hunt to eat kind of on its, on its course. And, uh, I had no idea, um, how to, how to make a t-shirt, how to print a t-shirt. I was honestly a, uh, an educator by trade, um, an adventure educator by trade. So dealt a lot with uh, taking kids and uh, any, anywhere from kids to, to adults out on uh, rock climbing and kind of expedition trips. And um, yeah, landed in some, uh, some kind of after that essentially kind of pattern or petered out, so to speak, uh, due to poor, uh, poor pay in that whole industry. I ended up uh, in the outdoor gear industry and then kind of in the tech industry a little bit and ultimately ended up uh, kind of pursuing my passion of photography, um, which led me to meat eater. But yeah, that it's kind of a roundabout way to get to being a, uh, a t-shirt salesman. Um, and so I now I've been a t-shirt salesman for the last seven years and, uh, and slowly now that's turning into a little bit more than just t-shirts. We're actually uh, building ourselves out as a media company now um, as well as an education company. So, that's fun uh, being able to kind of transition back to my roots of adventure education, um, you know, and where we are with the hunting culture these days. Um, there's a uh, there's a kind of a what we call a blue ocean opportunity with uh, with the education um, in education in hunting right now. So um, we are taking the first big step towards being the leader in, uh, in hunting education. Um, and uh, and yeah. Um, and then the media stuff is also kind of slowly churning out here. You got lots, uh, lots going on, and uh, and you definitely transitioned from just a you know a t-shirt selling company. But uh, you know, backing up a bit, you said you were uh, you got into hunting a little later on in life, but you always had a connection to the outdoors. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you were a mountain guide, weren't you? Yeah, so that's kind of mountain guide. So I mean, I call it an outdoor educator as what I've. My degree is technically an adventure education degree with a focus in wilderness leadership. So, um, yeah, you know, I definitely spent a lot of days climbing rocks and living out of a van down by the river and uh, that whole kind of mountain guiding lifestyle. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. Um, I love I love educating folks. I love seeing people kind of see what is uh, especially having having the outdoors be the thing that, uh, that challenges people to see what they're made out of and see what they're, um, what they can accomplish. It's a, it's a pretty cool thing to be able to work through that with folks in the outdoors. So, um, yeah, um, I did that for about seven years, um, right out of college. So. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, that makes, uh, 
you know, that makes an easy transition into hunting, especially, uh, you know, if you got a, a, a mentor like your brother and, you know, I think we're all, we're all aware of him and his success, uh, um, he's had in the industry, but, uh, so when you guys started hunting, I assume, uh, it was just a side gig, uh, you know, I mean, obviously now it's grown immensely, but, uh, you know, how long did uh, it take you to realize that this was going to be, you know, a full-time show? Um, I'd say about, boy, full-time. I think I, I, I think I took myself full-time, um, well, I think three years in, something like that, essentially. Uh, you know, we had a pretty good first run of it. Um, just trying to figure well it took us about two years to just figure out how to do stuff and not how to get swindled out of all the middlemen uh who are who are always selling you something um, and not doing very much but uh yeah i think about year three i essentially had a I, the warehouse was in one of my bedrooms in my house and uh you know i was uh i was picking and packing and shipping orders every day so that's kind of the point at which uh that all took off and, and really ultimately that was first couple of years i was just uh working here and there for meat eater and then uh, driving as an Uber driver and a Lyft driver. I was one of the first Lyft and Uber drivers in Denver. And that was kind of like a, the way I actually made some money. And then, uh, yeah, this was, a, that was a side hustle. And then sooner or later we kind of went full all in. Um, yeah, I was actually, I was trying to become a full-time photographer and, uh, and hunt to eat kind of beat out that, uh, that work. So, uh, yeah, it's, that's, and then it was full time you know, seven, eight years down the road. And I mean, you guys, uh, pretty big now, uh, how many people you got working over there full-time now? Uh, you know, honestly, we still don't have any full-time employees. Um, although, uh, that doesn't necessarily look like that from the outside looking in. I know, um, there are roughly 10, 10 contractors that work for me pr on a pretty, uh, regular basis. Um, and then there's something like, uh, I don't know, 30, uh, you know, contributors at this point that are, uh, that are, you know, all contract workers, but oh, yeah. uh, it's small, you know, running a small business is still, uh, is a challenging thing. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's not, uh, we don't have the backing of the venture capital folks like other folks in the industry. So, um, you know, we're always just trying to figure out how to, how to make the next cool thing happen and, and get people's attention and keep people's attention. And, uh, it's, a, it's definitely a daily challenge. You know, once you get too big and too capitalized, then, you know, it's things, uh, you kind of lose that, uh, kinship that, uh, you get when you, when you stay small. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's it is, I, I get that. It's, a you know, there's a very real conversation between, uh, earning a living and uh and staying you know true to your brand um but also not doing that at the expense of earning a living so um we try to try to make both things happen for sure yeah so i remember back when you guys first got rolling um you guys were doing like uh state specific teas teas you had yep one for Alaska and, uh, you know, California and so on and so on. Um, like I said, uh, you've evolved since then, but, uh, talk, uh, talk a bit about what you got going on over at your webpage. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, uh, there still are a lot of state specific stuff where, uh, we haven't gotten through all 50, um, unfortunately to, to much to a lot of people's chagrin, but, um, we're working on it, uh, nonetheless. 
Um, it's just that there's a lot, the population demands and a lot of other states demand that we, uh, you know, just smart business to give the more, more folks what they, more of what they want. So, um, you know, states like California and Colorado are probably already on their third, if not fourth um, state design. And we're, you know, we're still working on a lot of the little ones out on the East Coast and whatnot. But um, yeah, you'll still see, you know, uh, the state stuff keep popping up and new stuff coming down the line. Um, we, uh, we're doing, you know, there's still a bunch of t-shirt design stuff coming. So um, we're always trying to keep, keep it new and fresh. Um, but on the website, you'll actually see a new website hit the this is probably the first place where this is getting announced. You'll see a new website come um, hit the internet here in another month or so. Um, but, uh, you know, the whole kind of online editorial is there um, for folks to kind of, you know, for that new, that new hunter to kind of land in the hunt to eat community and have an opportunity to not only figure out how to start hunting um, from the, from the materials we're putting out, but also how to, um, kind of stay connected in, in a community as well as, uh, you know, enjoy the, the kind of the, the cooking aspect, which is, you know, I think that's for most folks coming into hunting these days, um, food is the vector that brings them there. So, um, you know, we want to, we want to showcase the, the foodies who are making wild game, like really, really fun and exciting. And at the same time, we also, um, you know, we focus a lot on the average, you know, what I call the average hunter, which is myself really like, I'm not, a, I'm not a chef by any means. Like my wife, my wife is the chef in the house, but, uh, there's still a lot of fun way. Yeah. There's still a lot of fun ways that, um, even us average folks can, uh, can make, you know, wild game, just be really amazing. Um, whether that's making, um, you know, an instant pot meal that turns out really good or, um, just making like a better and better burger for ourselves. Um, that's, uh, it's a good, it's a good vector also to help, you know, if we, even if we average folks can make that burger better, um, it's, uh, it's how we get our friends to um, come hunt with us is by feeding them really good food. So, um, so yeah, there's everything from, um, from learning how to, to, uh, to figuring how to cook, um, and, uh, and just kind of all the fun stories in between that. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of exploring people can do on the Hunty website for sure. Um, yeah, let alone let alone buy some stickers or t-shirts or whatnot. So, buy some cool swag for sure. Yeah, but yeah, you guys. I mean, seven years, and I, I I didn't count how many, you know, t-shirts and hats and and all the different uh, designs you got on on your uh, website. But uh, you got a lot of a lot of clothing available. How many new uh, items are you guys pumping out each year, roughly? Um. You know, it's a good question. We're, we're somewhere design work wise. We're somewhere over 150 designs at this point that oh. we've pumped out in the last seven years, seven, eight years. Um, so it's, there's a lot. Um, and uh, I'd say we're still, we're kind of on track that we kind of put out something new, you know, two things every month, um, probably on average. Um, sometimes it comes in a little hotter and hotter and he heavier, but uh, yeah, I'd say two a month so um, oh, that's that's yeah. pretty good it's uh it's not easy to get a to get a t-shirt from an idea to actual to the shelving um yeah process maybe yeah. uh maybe you could talk a bit about that process maybe maybe uh maybe you can walk us through the process of actually making a t-shirt you know from the idea from the from the idea of it to uh to the sales rack yeah um 
that's actually probably the it's the most fun I get to have is the that ideation aspect, um, which I'll say that of those 150 designs, probably, um, you know, the core concept of probably a hundred of them have been my own, which is fun. Um, I never thought of myself as a as a designer, but I definitely thought of myself as a creative. Um, but throughout the years, we've had just a lot of really great designers work for us. And, um, you know, I would, uh, I'd see kind of something, some idea come to, you know, come to me essentially, whether it's on a long run or out walking through the woods or whatever. And, uh, I would sketch it out on a, on my iPad and uh, I draw, I draw like a fifth grader pretty much. Uh, <laughs> but I would take that and, uh, and kind of but whoever's style um, I thought would match up with the idea the best, I'd pass it off to one of our designers. And then we would kind of go back and forth from there. So it's pretty fun looking back at all these designs where we have, you know, maybe five or six uh, it's like renditions of a design, every, everything from my initial scribble um, to what the designer kind of, uh, you know, figured out in the end. Um, kind of seeing that progression of these designs. But uh yeah, then it's, uh, you know, the designer works on it. Maybe we do that for a week or two and uh, it's and it's finished. And then um, we've got a really great uh, print shop that we work with here in Denver and have worked with them essentially from the beginning uh, for the most part, the, except for those first few years. Um, so that's a really fun thing because I'm in the print shop with um, their, uh, the folks that work there and their main designer. And so we're working on kind of the details of the design um, and how it actually unfolds on a t-shirt and uh, everything from, um, from kind of the pixelation of the screens to, uh, you know, picking out inks and, uh, and testing how inks are going to work on certain shirt colors. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's way more to that than most people think, um, particularly when you print shirts the way we do, which is a water-based print, um, not a plastisol print, meaning that, we actually bleach the, the shirt gets bleached um, and then the ink gets put right into the yarn um, versus plastisol being a process where a literally a layer of plastic gets put down on the shirt and then that plastic gets printed on, um, which is why those shirts, when you put them on, um, if you sweat it ever, um, it feels like that sticker is sticking to your chest because there literally is a plastic sticker on the front and then there's just ink on top of that. Um, oh, yeah. Which... I always say friends don't let friends wear plastisol um, just because it feels like garbage. It ultimately ends up cracking. Um, it doesn't look very good. And I don't think it's worth worth the money it took to print it. Um, I'm always trying to get people to realize that if they spend marketing dollars on crappy shirts, one, not only the shirt is crappy, but then the print is crappy. They ultimately, people are going to say, great, thanks for the t-shirt. And they're going to stick it in the back of their the back of the drawer or they're just going to throw it away and put it in the rag pile. So um, I don't think those shirts actually get worn as, as much as many people would like to think that they do. Um, so we've been pushing people to print on good shirts and print water-based um, and it's a, you know, it comes out a little different. The prints aren't necessarily as crisp. They have kind of like this worn and weathered look to them, um, but they feel great. And, um, and you can still get some color pop. Um, you just have to be particular about how you, uh, you know, the, the inks you use and the shirts you uh, pair them with. So um, it's been a lot of fun learning that whole process. 
Um, but yeah, then, then we, then you deal with a warehouse and, uh, we've, uh, we've done everything from being in, uh, other people's warehouses to now we actually have our own warehouse and, uh, it's great to kind of have our own systems dialed in now with, uh, with Dustin here, he's managing the warehouse and, uh, yeah, just great to have, you know, um, folks who are, uh, who are hunters and committed to the brand and, uh, you know, they're kind of doing the, the day-to-day work in the, in the shop here. So, um, you know, that, that gets us shirts and we're, we can be essentially from an idea to in the warehouse in as little as two weeks, if we want to, um, generally it's about four weeks, but, uh, which is great as a small business. It essentially just gives us the ability to, uh, to be quick and to, uh, to kind of shift, uh, shift our focus when we need to pretty fast uh, or get cool things out um, quickly. Um, being nimble as a small company is definitely a, a pretty big asset. Yeah, for sure. That goes back to, to uh, what we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah and I, I seen, uh, I seen pictures of your guys' uh, uh, new outfit there. It looks, uh, looks pretty good, man. That's, uh, yeah, it's it's nice to have. We have two office. Well, we have like a kind of a front a front hangout room, and then we have an office um, next to the warehouse. And it's just honestly, after being at a home office for seven years, it's fantastic to actually come to work. <laughs> no doubt, it's yeah. nice to work from home, but it's nice to have separation as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, one thing I found about um, clothing is um, it could be very frustrating. You know, I found like through my experiences, um, you know, sometimes, well, I mean, just the process of back and forth, I mean, emails back and forth, trying to get a design right is challenging Mm -hmm. enough. Um, And then, you know, when it goes to print, sometimes, you know, you get crooked or uneven logos and, you know, sometimes the the shirt's just completely wrong. How did you guys kind of overcome these obstacles? Like, I'm I'm assuming you must have went through these, these headaches in the beginning. Yeah first started no that, that was just the first two years man was dealing with people who aren't um designers you know all of our designers still are kind of on we you know we deal with them on the internet um but uh yeah just finding good designers that uh can you know that you know that they work well with you and they take direction well um and then i and then ultimately with when it comes to the shirts and the printing process i mean that ultimately was um and i've had plenty of people pitch me on uh oh we can do it cheaper and we can do it you know this way and that way and it's like um the number one thing there is is can i walk into the print shop and talk to the main print you know the main designer the main creative director at the shop and walk through every you know every color choice um every size dimension issue um just all of those things it's like it is a in person um uh, experience. It is not something um, that's going to happen well on over the internet. Um, or if it does, it's going to happen over a much longer period of time, right? Because ultimately I can walk into the print shop and we can have a conversation. We can, we can have issues arise and we can deal with them. And I can do that all in a couple hours versus that being something that like, oh, that shirt's got to get sent for me to California and then for me back to California. You know, and then it's like four weeks later, we're finally through our issues, um, you know, but it took a lot longer than it needed to. So I think the, the in-person relationship is probably like the number one thing, which is why, um, we still have evolved with the same print shop here in Denver. Um, and they've been in business for 30 years, so they, they know what they're doing and, uh, I've established some really, uh, great 
great business relationships and actually just really strong friendships as well with these folks because um, they're committed to making our brand as good as it can be as well. So, um, yeah, I think, I think you run into essentially um, the online stuff gets cheaper for certain reasons. And those reasons ultimately are things that um, kick people in the face when they're, uh, <laughs> when they have to deal with them. Yeah. You end up paying um, for it later on, but yeah. Yep. I guess I guess it's just part of those growing pains that every business goes through at the beginning, eh? Oh, it is, and I think that there are also people underestimate the idea of how many shirts they're going to sell. Um, you know, and it's like uh, the reality is is that scale it takes a long time to actually scale something, and so if people think that they're going to, you know, make one design, make you know, and sell a hundred t-shirts, um, and they're a small business, they're fooling themselves. I mean, we we still only make. 25 shirts um, for like a brand new design. Maybe a really good one will make 30 or 40, but um, it's just not a, it's, there's just not, that's just not a reality unless you're a big business that you're going to sell thousands yeah. of t-shirts. It's just, uh, just not, yeah, not reality. Yeah. And small, it's, brand, small brands are going to move 10 shirts a month, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so yeah. So, and then it's, and then it's hard because that, that scale things get a lot more expensive and uh then all of a sudden it takes you a lot more um, capital to actually build a t-shirt um, and yet you're still selling it only for 20 or 25 bucks. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's like, welcome to business 101. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not all roses. No, no, man. That's for sure. That's for sure. So uh, yeah. I noticed on your webpage, uh, you got a collaboration series. Maybe you can tell me a bit about that. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, uh, it was, it's definitely was a good, um, it is a good way for us to help, um, kind of support, uh, you know, other essentially conservation focused brands, um, really sometimes brands, um, mostly nonprofits. Um, and, uh, again, it comes down to this, like, where are people spending their marketing dollars? Um, and there's a lot of swag made out there that just isn't good. Um, and that most people don't want to wear, and so I figured that if, uh, if people actually wear the t-shirt, you know, for pheasants forever or whatever like that, then they're going to get, they're going to get more bang for their buck. They're going to be able to tell their story a little bit better. So yeah, we essentially just started reaching out to, uh, to nonprofits and, and offering to do the design work, um, for free, um, kind of in, in trade for, uh, being partners with people on these projects and uh and sharing their stories and 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 that's been a just a good way to support that part of the kind of the conservation industry um so it's kind of tapered off a little bit here and there um it's also you know people love to think that you're going to sell again just thousands of shirts but that's it's really not the case um and uh so uh, yeah we've got a couple we've got a new I don't know if I can actually talk about that. We've done we've done a couple of things with uh, Pheasants Forever, and we've got another cool one coming out with them. So I'll leave it at that. But uh, yeah, cool. it's, just, it's a great way to just support that part of the industry um, and get some of that messaging out there. Um, you know, it's not there, there's fun and cool ways to showcase kind of like uh, the different pieces of everything involved in the hunting culture. Um, like West, our Western Roots shirt is actually a pretty good. Um, showcase of that of just like talking about sage grouse habitat and kind of western um western sage step habitat and showing the uh showing all the plants of that place of that landscape 
Um, and that design has been uh, a really great seller. Um, so it's been fun to just kind of have that for folks. Um, yeah, it's actually definitely. got, you know, it doesn't, doesn't have like a game animal on it at all or anything like that, but it's just, uh, um, you know, there's, uh, more than just about the animals, you know, um, which is, that's kind of the fun part about hunt to eat is that we're always showcasing the, you know, the whole 360 and not just the, not just the hunting, not just the animal. So. Yeah, that's cool, man. That's good. Awesome. Yeah. Now, now do you guys, uh, do you guys help out or design stuff for other companies or, or, uh, or folks that, uh, you know, like uh, say a podcast wants a, a t-shirt, do you guys help them out with that? Or- we do, we do on occasion. Um, it's kind of like a, it's probably a little, a business line we don't necessarily talk about a lot. Um, but we do do design work. Um, we just did some design work for a, for an, uh, another nonprofit. Um, so yeah, I mean, that definitely is, um, you know, we've got partnerships like with Hank Shaw where we, you know, we do all his design work and then sell all his gear. Um, just so he doesn't, he can focus on what he does best, which is write cookbooks and, and kind of tour around and, and sell those things. But, um, yeah, it's fun to have those kind of partnerships with other folks that, uh, um, you know, they don't, there's a lot to figuring out how to deal with, you know, selling merchandise, um, and, and, and organizing a warehouse and all that stuff. So, um, again, not ever anything I thought I would do, um, as a job, but, uh, but now we do it pretty well. So it's, it is fun to, um, to help people out with that stuff. Yeah. And it's frustrating as all hell too. It can be. <laughs> yeah. If you can yep. uh, get somebody else experienced to help you out with it, it's uh, it's worth it for sure. We talked earlier a bit about the food being a, a huge part of Hunt to Eat. And, uh, you know, in my household, my, uh, my wife, she runs uh, the kitchen. She doesn't even let me in there very often. I uh, I uh, burn toast, so it's... Uh, I'm not, I'm not much of a cook. It's something I've, I've tried to work on the last few years, but, uh, you got a ton of recipes over there. Uh, yeah. where did, uh, where do you guys acquire all this good looking food? <laughs> um, you know, that's like, uh, I'll say that's probably the, uh, the number one place where the kind of the hunt to eat community comes into, um, into the fold is just, uh, it's all just community source for the most part. Um, we're, we're generally these days have moved to a kind of a paid contributor model, um, so we definitely have a lot of that going on as well, as far as, you know, YouTube channel and whatever, but, um, yeah, there's just so many people in the community that want to share what they're doing, um, with their wild game and kind of how they've, you know, maybe, uh, maybe changed, a, a, a known recipe to be kind of more wild game specific or whatnot. But, um, yeah, it's just fun to have people, uh, share from the community what they're doing with their food. Um, so I'd say that's, a, that's probably the biggest part. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on there. So do you guys test yeah. all these recipes out uh, or do you, yeah. like, do you go through them before the, you throw them up on your webpage? Uh, no, I'll say that they, uh, they're, uh, they're tested by the, by, we kind of just trust the, trust the community to give us good stuff. Yeah. Well, they sure look good, man. Do you, uh, do you have a favorite or, or uh, hit me up with your top five? Top five. Oof. I would say I, I honestly give you like top three, maybe. Um, I'm definitely a fan of um, essentially either shanks or like uh, turkey legs. Um, anything when I, if I can take shanks or turkey legs and throw them in the Instapot, my go-to these days is to literally just go like a can of a can of beer, can of lager, and then a uh, a box of uh, like chicken stock. 
uh, and then uh, whatever kind of whatever focused spice I want to do, um, which usually would just be one kind of like pre-made seasoning um, and uh, chuck all that in there and, uh, you know, put it on for six hours. And ultimately you end up with uh, just like falling off the bone meat that's delicious. Um, and then with most of that stuff, I'll ultimately like um, I'll fry it a little bit. So it's kind of like carnitas. Um, and, uh, it's awesome. It's delicious. And that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of like cooking for dummies, I think is like the Insta pot with, or, you know, just any slow cooker essentially, but, um, all those shanks and all those, all that leg meat, man. I mean, all that, um, all that connective tissue just breaks apart and, uh, makes everything delicious. So, um, especially when you add beer to it. Yeah. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. Um, I think that's maybe, a, I think that's a fad that people are definitely seeing that like they used to throw away shanks or, you know, they used to just grind all that meat. And it's kind of like um, people are learning now that you just got to give it time in the slow cooker and uh, it'll all fall apart sooner or later. Uh, and, it's, and it's great. So um, that's my number, like number one, probably. And then, uh, boy, I'm, I'm really just a fan of a good burger. Um, and I'm a Tony C's. Tony, Tony Steve's seasoning fan, um, good burger like that. Um, and then jerky schnitzel is also like a big fan favorite at our house. Um, ultimately cause I end up making them like a, uh, uh, with schnitzel on a bun, I'll do barbecue sauce, pickles and cheese. And that's just like a, it's, I'll, I'll call it the world's best chicken sandwich. That's not a chicken. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Um, those are, those are my kind of go-tos. Um, yeah. And then other just fan favorites in the house, but that I can't claim them is my wife will do, uh, the, uh, she'll make the strami these days and we'll make Rubens. Um, and that's just a fantastic, I mean, like if people are into sandwiches, you know, folks that don't maybe hunt wild game, um, if they're into a good sandwich, they're probably into a Reuben. And, uh, if you can, you know, make a good pastrami and cut and thin slice it, then, you know, Ruben's a good way to get people interested into it. Cause they have, they really have no idea that it's actually wild game. Yeah. That's, so. that's one cool thing about uh, recipes like this is, you know, when you do get a chance to prepare them for, you know, somebody who is a non-hunter and then they're willing to eat it. Um, and then they, you know, it, most of the time it's, uh, you know, it's always a positive on, on how good it was. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah. That's what makes yeah. these recipes a lot of fun. Yeah, I was looking for a good bear recipe this morning on uh, on your Hunt to Eat webpage. Found a few there, so I'll have to oh, nice. try those out. Nice. Yeah, we're uh, we haven't messed around too much with it. We I got some bear fat from our marketing manager Gabby last year, um, but I have yet to shoot a bear. So it's uh, it's on my radar of things of, of hunts I want to get after. But uh, unfortunately, I don't even think that this fall I'm gonna have to. I'm going to have to turn in my bear tags. I don't think I'm going to have time to actually go chase one. Yeah. Maybe I think next spring, hopefully I've got a plan to get up to Montana maybe and, and try to get after a bear. So it'll be my first one. Yeah. Cool, man. Um, yeah. So, you know, I got a couple other things I, I wanted to ask you about, but uh, sure. is there anything else you wanted to add about uh, the clothing and, uh, and the webpage? I don't think so. I think just uh, if folks are kind of getting into it, uh, you know, stay tuned. We got a lot of fun stuff coming, a uh, new website, like a couple of new big announcements coming in the next few months here. So, uh, you know, there'll be, there'll be other ways that you can kind of tune into the Hunt to Eat community, which will be fun. Um, 
but uh, yeah, so just kind of stay tuned. And then, uh, you know, if you're in the States and you're a brand new hunter and you want to learn how to hunt, then we've got the educational, the, the hunt camps. Um, and so those are really geared towards, you know, total novices in hunting, uh, maybe never even hunted at all, uh, maybe never even shot a gun before, uh, but you can come do a hunt camp experience and, and we'll walk you through the whole thing. Um, so that's, uh, we're, we'll have those up on the website here soon. We've probably got somewhere 10 to 15 camps this fall that people can come experience everything from bear hunting to, um, to deer, to upland, um, to waterfowl. So, um, there'll be a lot of different opportunities. Yeah, that's a great idea, man. There's uh, that's one of the biggest obstacles I think for new hunters is just that lack of mentorship. Yep. Yep. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll offer the mentorship and then we'll offer the community of people to stay involved and, uh, keep learning. Yeah, so. definitely. So, uh, outside hunt to eat, you're, uh, you're pretty active. Uh, we touched early on, uh, ultra running. Um, yeah. uh, what, what's ultra running? What's the difference from that, from just, uh, regular old jogging? <laughs> well, I still jog, uh, although I might not say that I might say I go for a run, but, uh, <laughs> um, it's just longer, I guess, is though really, I mean, an ultra marathon is anything that's over, um, I don't know if people get technical about it, but it's essentially anything over a, a regular marathon. And, uh, yeah, I, I kind of got into running when, with my wife when we met like seven years ago, eight years ago. Um, and, uh, I'm kind of an all or nothing guy. So I went from being a rock climber 300 days a year to, to racing, uh, bikes a whole bunch and kind of being a, a pro-am bike racer. And then I picked up running. And so, of course, I decided I should not only run marathons, but I should run ultra marathons. So, um, yeah, we're, I'm actually, I just finished up a huge block of training and now I'm, uh, I'm 12 days out from, uh, my second attempt at a hundred miles. Um, so hundred miles. Yep. Yep. Running a hundred miles. <laughs> yeah. How long does that take? Um, well, if I have a good day, it'll be somewhere around 18 hours. If I have Oof. a mediocre, mediocre day, it'll be somewhere, you know, 22 to 24. And, uh, ultimately I'm just going to try and finish. So, um, the 30 hour cutoff for the race. Um, but, uh, hopefully Jesus. it's under 24 hours. Yeah. yeah. So how, do, uh, how the hell do you train for something like that? Cause it's not like you can just go running a hundred miles a day. No. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, like with any endurance training, there's just like a bunch of pure as the periodization as they call it. So just doing different stuff at different times of the year to try to, um, boost all of the kind of the mechanics of running. And, uh, you know, I like the last two weeks I put in right around 60 miles for the week. Um, so, which isn't crazy. I mean, there's plenty of pro runners that are, you know, that run a hundred miles a week. Um, but, uh, you know, once you get into that, um, I'd say like, I'd say probably the average jogger, average runner, if you will, um, you know, gets in somewhere between 15 and 20, 25 miles a week. Um, but once you start to get over that kind of like 35, 40 and into the 60 range, um, you're running, it really takes off. So, um, and you just start building up the endurance. Um, so, you know, different years I've had different, uh, kind of strategies from um, being a self-coached um, athlete but uh you know you read enough books and you do enough kind of 
figuring out of how your body responds to training stimulus. And uh, it's a lot of big back-to-back days. So like I did, a, you know, like uh, last week I had some days where I ran like, you know, 15, 15, 15, thereabouts, kind of like 45 miles over the course of three days. Um, doing some shorter races, some 50Ks, things like that, you know, like a month ago. Um, this year I'm actually running a marathon a month um, just as a way to stay consistent, um, in my running. But, uh, that's actually been kind of like a, it was a good thing early in the year to kind of get me going. It's actually been a bit of a boon right now because it's, uh, not necessarily the best way to running a marathon takes a lot out of you. So doing it every four weeks is uh, not necessarily the best, um, training, uh, methodology, but, uh, but, but I've been able to do it nonetheless. So, um, yeah, so I don't know. That's uh, wow. That, that's so, short of it, I guess. So, uh, like, do you guys stop when you're on these on the, like a 24 hour run? Do you stop to yeah, yeah, to rehydrate? No, yeah, you've got aid stations. You've got you know you got pacers. You've got a crew. Um, so my and my wife and my dad um, and a couple of friends will be out there um, crewing me, and you know, so they'll see me. Early on, they probably won't see me as much because I'll just I'll kind of run through the aid stations and it's it's a lot easier when you're not super fatigued. But once we get to the like 60 mile range, then you know then I probably I'll see them every five miles or, or thereabouts. And uh, yeah, they're there to make sure you're eating and drinking enough. And uh, you know, unfortunately, because it's such a long time frame, you also try to. Uh, while you do stop and have a seat and, you know, drink some food, drink some water, whatever, eat some food, you try not to sit around too long because you can just kind of seize up and, mm. uh, and kind of just lose your, lose your mojo. So, um, and just all that time, right. In a race, all that time is counting against you as well. So, um, the last 50 K I did, um, you know, there was, I actually only had eight minutes at aid stations, which is really good. It's essentially running in, filling up my stuff and, running out and then ultimately like um you know you're you're still walking plenty in these races you can't actually um i mean there don't get me wrong the professionals do run the whole thing um but uh this race is pretty flat and so i'll actually uh, my pacing strategy will be to actually run three miles walk for 10 minutes and repeat for 24 hours or however long it takes me so um gives gives my body a little bit of a break um from the monotony of running uh on flat terrain and kind of like break up my uh the biomechanical issues that might arise from doing it the same way and over and over and over again for hours on end no doubt and your uh your body's been good it's held up knees are good yeah yeah totally um yeah i think that's a funny that's a funny misconception man the whole my knees hurt thing um i definitely don't get me wrong when i first started running and i had not been a runner it took me about actually about two years, um, to get past sore knees. But, um, now I, you know, I, I don't have any knee issues whatsoever. Um, the, I, there, and there's plenty of ultra runners or just runners in general will tell you that like, um, you certainly have to get over it. You have to get your body used to it. Um, but once you do, um, the knee issue just, it goes away. Um, yeah, I can run a marathon these days and not be sore. So it's, uh, it's just, it's just what you're prepping your body to do, you know? Yeah. I, I think it's just so, one of those, like anything with, with training or any exercise at the beginning, it's, uh, 
you know, you get sore and pains and stuff, but once you build up oh, those yeah. ca- calluses everywhere, you, you know, you don't yeah. even notice it. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, man. The first, when I was, when I wasn't a runner, the first time I ran, I think I was, it was at the end of my bike racing days, I ran a mile and I like the next day I couldn't walk. I was so sore. Right. And like you, every, everyone's got to start somewhere with that stuff. Um, it's just whether or not you let it um, stop you, I think from, from, uh, from responding to the, to the stimulus and then, you know, and then getting better. Um, so, so how many yeah. people go in these uh, hundred mile races? Uh, boy, well, this one's kind of a small race. I actually, this one came up last minute. I actually was in a different race and through some weird COVID miscommunications and whatnot. Um, I actually got booted out of the race that I was supposed to be in, uh, which was in Milwaukee. Um, so I found this race last minute on the same weekend, but in Michigan. So, uh, I think in this one, in the hundred mile, there will probably be somewhere around 70 participants, but man, ultra running is, is boomed. I think, uh, a year or two ago, there was something like uh, maybe like 60,000 people participating in, in uh, ultra running races in, in the United States. And then in the last year, it's something over like 300,000. Um, it's just like it's exploded. So a lot of the big races, um, you know, there's lottery systems, much like, you know, we're trying to get, um, you know, get tags or whatnot through lotteries. Um, there's a lot of races that are like that as well, where you've got to where we have preference points they have um you know you've got to run a certain race to actually get a qualifying ticket to just to get you in the lottery um to get into that race um so it can be uh it can be quite the um the process you know a multiple year process just to get um entries into the lottery and then let alone win the lottery um so wow yeah. well man good on you i bet yeah. uh all that long distance running helps uh, when you're in the backcountry, I bet. Oh, it totally does, man. It's uh, I give people hell on all the forums when they talk about uh, walking around with heavy backpacks and stuff. I honestly don't ever do that. Um, never have. Um, I just run a lot. And uh, what I ultimately, you know, I think a lot of folks coming, particularly into elk hunting or, uh, you know, they want to come hunt big Western mountains is that they worry so much so so much about what it's going to be like to get that animal out of the backcountry um and they don't worry enough about what it takes to actually just find the animals and pursue them um and don't get me wrong there are days when i finally shoot an elk and then i gotta carry a heavy load and it's unpleasant um but it's not something that's like impossible um but uh if folks show up to the mountains and they're still overweight and they're like, I can carry a hundred pounds, no problem. But they're so uh, heavy that, that they can't actually, you know, walk 15 miles a day up and down mountains and do it quickly. Um, they actually never catch up to the elk. Um, they never find them. And then yeah, it's yeah. like, well, great. You, you can pack one out, but you never could catch up to one. So what's it matter? Yeah. Um, so I always say that people should not worry as much about being, uh, you know, with the strength component, but they really should just lose weight and, uh, and be able to march around the mountains for as long as they possibly can. And yeah. That'll, that'll, that'll make them more successful elk hunters. Yeah. You definitely need that endurance. That's for sure. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I covered 77 miles and like some 15,000 vertical or 17,000 vertical in my last week of elk hunting last season, you know, in that last day, don't give me, I mean, I had, three we had three pack outs and i did a you know we got a whole bull out 
um, in three backpack loads. Um, and I carried a 55 pound pack, a 75 pound pack. And then my one buddy carried a 105 pound pack. And that was, that was all, that was an entire elk. Uh, so, you know, those miles sucked. Um, you know, my hips hurt, but like, whatever, at the end of the day, you, you do that a couple of times and it's not that bad. Um, and that was four and a half miles in, you know, put in, we did 17 miles that day to get that thing out of the woods. Yeah. Um, it's not easy, but you know, it's only once a year. And I, I don't think there's any training you can really do for that. You know what I mean? To make it so that's easier or that's pleasant. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's always a thrill when you, when you take down an elk, but uh, yeah, it's the pack. I don't think there's anything that, that truly prepares you or, or can save you from the misery of packing an elk out. Not really. I mean, you might, you might carry a backpack up and down a hill once or twice just to get your hips accustomed to that weight. Um, and so they're not so like, totally bruised sore, but, uh, other than that, I think, uh, I don't know the, the other thing is I think that a lot of people carry way too much stuff with them when they're actually out on day hikes or on day hunts. Um, and so they're, they do these, they go like trudging around the mountains on their, uh, training days with like 45 pounds in their backpack. And it's like, my even in a, a winter kind of like third season elk hunt in Colorado, my pack doesn't weigh more than like 15 pounds with all my stuff in it. So it's like not a heavy backpack to like have in the mountains. You know what I mean? So I, I just I'm just not a fan of the um, let's go you know grunt around with 45 pounds on our pack just to like hammer our knees home. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Oh, and but, and then you add it it. yeah they do and i mean when you add an animal to it i mean you should only have to do that once to learn your lesson i know i did you, you do it once and then you're you pack an animal and you're like okay well i don't need this i don't need this i don't need this you yeah. can really narrow it down to what you need especially for for a day hunt you don't really yeah. need a whole lot that's for sure yeah or and you just get that's also where you know having the investment in good gear that's really lightweight makes a lot of sense um because it's not that i it's not that i forego having good or having the right equipment it's just i have the right equipment and it's really light it's also expensive don't get me wrong but uh that makes it all comfortable right it makes the suffering not so bad when you actually have the right gear um so yeah, yeah. and, and you know it's, that just it's, takes experience yeah, exactly. And I find it funny, you know, I talk to a few guys and they'll go out and they'll spend, you know, $5,000 on a rifle and then they'll put, you know, uh, I mean, it's good to have great optics, but, you know, by the time they're walking out of the, the firearm store, they're carrying, you know, an $8,000 firearm and then, you know, they're going right to Canadian Tire to buy buy some gear for uh, for the backcountry. And, it's, you know, you don't really need that that gun. Um, no, you can, I mean, the amount of, like a savage three uh savage makes some guns that are like 300 bucks man that are just they'll you know they'll, they shoot straight and they yeah right out of the box you know, a 30 a 30 out six shoots great you know you put a vortex scope on it for 400 bucks scopes cost more than the than the gun and you're out yeah. the door for 700 bucks yep. take that other five thousand dollars and put it into you know a good pair of binos and yeah. And a solid tent and a, you know, $400 down jacket and like all that stuff. And you still don't, you're still not spending all that money. Um, no, it's, it's funny. I, just, I had, I actually won a, uh, um, a really nice rifle um, from a, like a, a wall of guns raffle 
that an organization did and I just sold it because it's just like you know $3,000 gun it's just like so unnecessary for me I like I have one I have one or two guns and just like didn't need that expensive thing um so reinvested into a, another trip or another big plane ticket somewhere else that'll be a cool trip instead uh, yeah, yeah no doubt no doubt are you uh yeah. a rifle hunter archery hunter or, or you mix it up um i i have done both um i've i've got two seasons under my belt with a bow um hunt elk um i was i was uh fortunate enough to shoot an elk my first season with a bow oh um, nice a huge deal yeah i know for sure that was um and then the second season, I wounded an elk, um, which is always a, a really big bummer. Um, but yeah, he came, it was, you know, great hunt. Um, and he just came in and uh, presented a shot that I shouldn't have taken and uh, put an arrow right in his scapula. And uh, he, uh, he essentially kicked it out and walked away uh, with no blood trail. So I think he, he lived to, he lived to bugle another day and, uh, and that was a massive bummer, but, uh, you know, a lot to learn from those experiences as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, this year, I don't think that I, I don't even know that I'll, I will maybe hunt elk, but these years, the, right now, uh, with how busy we are um, in the early season, I'm not focused too much on archery. It's mostly just rifle. So, actually, in this year's elk hunt that I have a potentially have a tag for is uh is really just a conservation hunt which will be mostly walking into a field and just shooting a cow out of a out of a herd oh, yeah. they're trying oh. to man, trying to manage so it's more of a grocery grocery store hunt than anything but some years you got to take the easy ones definitely man and uh that's uh, that's some good meat right there so is elk yeah. a general open season tag for you guys in colorado um it, it can be there certainly is an over-the-counter option um it gets a little bit you know people love to complain about how busy all those uh, places are but um yeah it's still totally doable to get an over-the-counter tag and just go get it done um the most of those are bull only um so they've got to be a you know at least a four-point bull um or uh yeah there, there's some regulations around kind of what they have to be but uh yeah, it's fun. Um, that's what I had last year was a, a, an over-the-counter uh, bull tag, and I got it done. So, um, yeah. Yeah, we have a uh, good good thing to be a Colorado resident for sure. I think there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah, definitely. We have a uh, we've got the same uh, geo GOS, but uh, it's uh, six point for us up here. So. Mm. Wow. Yeah, yeah, man. So, uh, how about uh, spring turkey? You get out to do any spring turkey on? I did. I got out a whole bunch. Um, we had a bunch of different camps, um, that we did. We did a big camp in, uh, in Texas. And then we did one in, uh, Oklahoma. And then I was out in New York as well for just another, um, film project that we're working on. So I actually was able to, um, I shot two birds in Texas. Um, and then I shot one bird in New York. And then I, on the way home, uh, I drove, I did a huge road trip for like four, almost 5,000 miles on the truck um, over three weeks. Um, and then on the way home, I swung through Nebraska um, for about 18 hours and I got it done there as well. So got four birds down this year. So um, yeah, super psyched. I love yeah. turkey. I love wild turkey. <laughs> Man, I love, so. I love and I hate hunting wild turkey. I tell you. I had no, no, no luck this year, but, uh, I still love no. it. I said I was done with it, yep. but I'm slowly getting over it. I'm licking my wounds. I'm getting better. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, 
it's challenging, man. It's challenging for sure. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, but when it's, it, when it's so good, when it's good, um, oh, yeah, when, they're, man. when they're, when they're talking in goblin, it's, uh, it's not quite the same as, uh, as an elk, but it's, it's, uh, it's very close, very yeah. close. When so, it hits, it's, that's awesome. It's all worth yeah. it when it hits. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. dude, I think I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, where can, the right. good, where can the good people up here in Canada find you guys? Yeah. So, I mean, we do, we are sh again, shipping to Canada. Um, I'm sorry. It's a little bit more expensive as, as that happens, but I believe we have figured out all of the issues to shipping there. So, um, we do, uh, we do offer, uh, shipping to Canada and, uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram. Generally that's the best place. Just mothing. Um, if you search that, I generally will be the fir first and only thing that pops up, I think. Um, and then hunt eat, of course, on Instagram as well as your kind of IG is definitely the best place to find me. Yeah. Um, and the, the yeah. web page is hunt to eat to not yep, the number hunt. two. Uh, actually, if you punched in the number two, it would still redirect you there as well. Oh, but is yeah, that right? To, yeah. But hunt to eat, um, you should Google it one way or the other and, and we should be the first thing that pops up. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Okay, man. Cool. Thanks. Well, thanks for your, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. And, yeah. uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll be working on some Canadian provinces here, uh, sh shortly and, uh, we'll get some design design ideas from, uh, we're always taking design ideas from our, you know, from the community members. So if you're Canadian listening to the podcast and you want to tell me what we should put in all the province designs, then, uh, you know, shoot us an email over at, uh, at, uh, let's see at customer dash service, um, at huntyeat.com. Awesome. Uh, yeah. You can give us your give us your tidbits about what we should put on designs so <laughs> no doubt okay cool man uh we'll uh we'll look for that and we'll also uh look for the new web page cool sounds good thanks okay. for the time okay man we'll talk to you later all right yeah